Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is The Fray Podcast, brought to you by thefray.com, a place for women who want more from life. This is what I want. This is what I need. If you don't have to go, I can set you free. Are you going to Welcome to today's podcast episode. Have you ever wondered why it can be so hard to feel like you're on the same page as your partner sometimes? Have you ever felt like you're speaking a completely different language or perhaps like they're speaking a foreign language and you just can't comprehend what is happening? Have you ever felt like the way that your partner acts makes you a bit crazy or really stresses you out? These are not uncommon things to experience when you're in a relationship, particularly if you've been with someone for a while. Today's podcast episode is all about resetting your relationship and the way that you do that is through understanding yourself and awareness of yourself. Our guest today will explain this to you in much greater detail. My guest is Lissy Abrahams. Lissy is a psychotherapist. She's a leading individual and couple psychotherapist who has dedicated her career to helping hundreds of clients navigate life's obstacles and challenges. Lissy has written a book called Relationship Reset, and it is brilliant. As someone who has truly read so many books and consumed so much content about relationships, it's not often that I'll pick up a book and I'll be really gripped by it these days. I often pick up relationship books and go, oh yeah, that's kind of basic, or I've read that before, or whatever. But when I began reading Relationship Reset, straight away, I felt so seen and so understood. And I think that's what you want from a book, right? Like you want validation if it's a personal growth type of book. You want to go, yes, I see myself in that. Why? (laughs) Why do I see myself in that? And what can I do about it? And the thing that I like the most about Relationship Reset is that it is very practical. It cuts through the nonsense. It goes straight to the heart of, you know what? These are the attachment styles. This is why it's important to understand them. And then it adds another layer. It has attachment style stuff, but then it talks about um, understanding the impact that the relationship that was role role modeled for us as children, the impact that has on us as grown-ups and it goes into the ego and so much more. 
I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed reading this book and I thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with Lissy Abrahams. We talk about attachment styles. We unpack the different kinds of insecure attachment. We talk about our relational template and exactly what that means and how we can begin to have more compassion and understanding for ourselves and the way we show up in relationships. We talk about being triggered as well and so much more. I really hope that you enjoy this conversation. I think it's going to be a really, really useful one for so many people. So let's get into my conversation with leading psychotherapist and author, Lissy Abrahams. Lissy, thank you so much for joining me today. I am having a total fangirl moment because I am obsessed with your book. Oh, that's so kind of you. I love that expression, fangirl. I will take it. Take it. It is a book that I will never part with, I'm sure of. Now, often I buy books and I'll be like handing them out to my girlfriends or even sending them out to people that follow along for giveaways and whatnot. I will not part with my copy of Relationship Reset. It is brilliant. So thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm so glad that you relate to it so well. Oh, there's so much stuff in there that I'm like, yep, check, check. That is me. And especially with like the attachment styles. So how important is it that we understand our attachment style and the attachment style of our partner? I think it's critical. I think it's a really fundamental thing for us all to understand. And attachments, attachment styles really do explain why we get so distressed in the way we do, why we get so upset, and what kind of behaviours we use when we're upset. It's all around loss. So in relationships, if we're feeling that our partner is not who we want them to be, our attachment style can be activated and that might mean we become clingy or we become avoidant or angry and there might there's a reason for that it doesn't just happen we're not just born with that predisposition we're actually shaped and um, encoded with information that causes us to be like that so it's absolutely central to how we relate Yeah. And I think a lot of people have a general understanding of, oh, there's secure attached or there's insecure attached, but there are actually subtypes. Is that the correct terminology? But like different types of insecure attachment, aren't there? Yeah, absolutely. And the way I look at it is that there's three main ones. And if, would you like me to give you a brief explanation of yes, what they are? Please. Okay, cool. <laughs> so one of them, the first one that I'll describe is what's called, um, and it's called, <laughs> I've lost the name, how insane is that? Because I call it, it's a preoccupied attachment, it's ambivalent attachment. So the, the way that to look at this is what I call like a retractable tape measure. So children who have this ambivalent attachment, they can be very clingy with their parents and they can be very angry with them at the same time. So what you can see if a child who's trying to get their parents' attention or they've been distressed, they can then become very clingy and they want to be like a little koala to their parent. But yet at the same time, they may actually hit them or push them away. They don't quite know how to use them. And that's the ambivalence not sure whether to get the comfort or be angry with them. Then there's another type, which is what I call, it's an avoidant attachment style, but I call it a fortress. And you can see children from a young age go into this very kind of pseudo-independent state where it looks like they've pushed away any upset feelings, 
don't want to acknowledge their parents when they're upset because they've actually deactivated they're calling out to their parents for help. They don't want their help because they know they're not there enough for them. So it's actually really sad. They look very self-contained, uh, but they're actually pretty anxious inside there. Even if they look like they're playing with a toy, they're not necessarily happy. And if we were to measure them up uh, and their heart rates, they'd be pounding away, but they've just got a kind of cut-off look about them. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And it, it's quite heartbreaking, even though they look like they they've got it they actually are struggling uh, and that can be a cue that we don't pick up enough with kids and then there's another one which is really for children who are have been traumatized where their parent they just don't know what to make of their parent it doesn't mean they don't love them they just don't know how to rely on them and they've been quite traumatized by them this could be with neglect abuse um of all different types. So these children, they can be kind of like the retractable tape measure sometimes where they cling and they're angry or push them away or they could cut themselves off and not want to talk to them. But they can also have rather dazed expressions. They can rock backward and forward. They can collapse at their parents' feet. They just can't access them for comfort in a way that a more securely attached child can. And how do those types, those styles of insecure attachment, how do they then impact our relationships when we're older, like our romantic relationships? Yeah, it's it's really just so fundamental, this part, because what we've found through research in attachment theory is that these childhood templates for how to bond with one's parents, they then map onto us in later life. We take them with us. Unless something really has changed our lives, like a near-death experience or uh, finding God or having a child that transforms us enormously, we're going to carry these through life. And so that if we've been a child who's, you know, used that tape measure for how far away are you, clingy, I want to be near you, but you're too far away, you're too close, that very uncomfortable part we can play that out with our partner in a couple relationship or if we've been very avoidant and deal with everything inside of ourselves and don't share information about how we feel or just don't know about that part anymore, like it's, it's shut off, then we can do that with our partner too or be also very fragmented and traumatised. That can play out because it's all relationally based in childhood and then we map it onto our partner who becomes our next really serious attachment figure after parents. Yeah, and I really love in your book how you describe that tape measure analogy, not just with physical proximity, not just physical clinginess, but emotional proximity as well. And how if someone who uh, is experiencing that sensation of their partner withdrawing, their tape measure being too far away emotionally, that can be really distressing. Yeah, it is. And if you can think that that is not something that just resolves itself with a kind of, you know, it, it, it's wired into one that they have to carry this tape measure around and they might feel okay for a moment, but you just scratch the surface and all of a sudden they feel their partner's too emotionally far away or they didn't think of them at work or they didn't send a text or they had a little fight and now they're worried the relationship won't survive. You know, it can be very painful to live with that level of anxiety and not feel comfort. Especially if one person in the partnership has that tape measure and they notice it's retracting and that physical proximity or emotional proximity is getting further and further apart. If one person is experiencing distress at that, but the other person 
is more of a bottler and actually needs to retreat to feel safe, you know, one person's going to be chasing the other. And I can imagine that's going to cause all sorts of um, emotional trauma or conflict in a relationship. It absolutely does. And though that combination that you just described, Kylie, is the most conflictual type because they're so different in how they resolve emotional material inside of themselves and each other. They're so completely different. And if you're a fortress, if you've got a fortress style of attachment, the last thing you want is someone who keeps knocking on your fortress saying, we need to talk, we need to discuss this, we need to resolve this. You're not doing this for me. They'd be just like, leave me alone. This is yes. so hard. Just go away. And I, you can see how easily they could brush up against each other in that way. Yeah, so we've got our attachment styles at play. But in the book, you also go on to talk about our relational templates as yeah. well and how that impacts the gap or potential gap between us and our partner. Absolutely. So the relational templates really are the information. It's like a program internally. Now, of course, there's no hardware for it, like an actual computer or something, but we're, we're programmed by all of our experiences in childhood and they all go into this relational template or a program. So if we've had thousands and thousands of micro moments with our parents of whether we've been um, attended to in a timely enough manner or not, whether they've been responsive to us, whether they've um, been able to kind of pick us up when we need to be held enough, not all the time, but enough, then that all gets encoded in the template. Because if we haven't had our needs met enough, that's going to trigger safety issues. And all of this comes back to safety. So what's in the, in the relational template is everything to do with relational safety. Do I feel safe or not? And that will then um, inform the kind of ego-based stories and behaviour that we have about relationships. All our opinions have come from somewhere. All our expectations have come from somewhere. They're not from nowhere. And that's often going back to what's encoded you know, and how we've been shaped and what our template looks like. And it's tricky, isn't it? Because I think so often with relationships, we're kind of thinking that, oh, we're going to meet someone and there's going to be so much sameness, you know, we're going to have the same thoughts and feelings or the same experiences, but two people can have the same goal, such as two people could want to have a relationship that has clear communication and boundaries, but have such wildly different relational templates on what that actually means that you're just going to, whilst you have the same goals, actually be miles apart. Absolutely spot on. If And that's the bit that's really critical here. It's the gap. So with those two people, even though the goals might be aligned, they might share values, they might even consciously share um, all their expectations and wants and wishes, but unconsciously what's encoded that they've got no idea what else is in there, they may be very, very different. So what we think we want isn't necessarily how we're actually wired, but there's a gap. There's always a gap between who I am and my template and my partners, and that's the same for everybody. And the real skill for all of us that we can, this is the bit we really can change, is what we do with that gap. Can we tolerate it or not? And if we can't tolerate it, then we're going to go into a whole host of reactions because we're upset about this gap and the reality of it. And that, that 
is whether we've got distress tolerance or distress intolerance about how we can do it. So securely attached people can tolerate that gap much more than the insecurely attached. Yes, because someone who is insecurely attached, when they notice that gap, when they notice that tape measure getting too far apart, it feels much more chaotic much more dangerous, well, threatening. And you've spoken about safety, right? You feel under threat. So if someone was feeling that their safety is being compromised because of insecure attachment, what are some things that they might experience? Would it be things like, you know, obsessive thoughts or wanting to, you know, get in touch with their partner? Like what sort of things might someone experience when they're having those sensations? So I guess the thing is for somebody who might have had a childhood of um, insecure attachment, say if they're um, more the ambivalent, preoccupied, clingy type, um, they might get very distressed if their partner's not paying enough attention to them. They might start asking them, why don't you love me or what's changed with you or don't you want to be with me or are you interested in somebody? Like it, there's so many reasons uh, that somebody might start, they might start looking at their phone. They might start trying to be a little detective about why, where are you? They might try and account, like send them messages during the day. Where are you now? How are you? And they might try and mask it because I think We've all got a little bit of crazy, let's be honest, even if yeah, of course. securely attached. Everyone's got their cray-cray bits. Just and, a little. Yeah. <laughs> and for lots of us, a lot. <laughs> but I think what we're going to find is people might try to mask some of the crazy bits that they have and this stuff can bring up to our crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And so do different partners activate different attachment styles in people or is it more like no no we've got one attachment style and that's how we'll be in all relationships or can different partners kind of either soothe or activate it in different ways yeah absolutely so if you're with if you're someone who's insecurely attached what can happen is if you partner up with someone who's securely attached that could be your biggest lottery ticket ever in your, in your relational kind of well-being because that person who's securely attached, they're not going to buy into your manoeuvres. They're going to hold themselves in a different way because they're resilient relationally and they'll try and help you. What's happening? They'll help you try and understand. So they become kind of the resilient parent that you'd always wish for or a resilient and um, present partner that you wish for as a child that you didn't get it. So it can be really healing and affect your the, the ability to change your relational wiring and what's encoded. So people do benefit enormously. Seek out the secure. <laughs> and can that improve your distress tolerance, your ability to handle that gap? Yes, absolutely. So what happens is the more that you've got someone who's there, starting from childhood as well, but in, in adulthood, you can learn that the presence of somebody else can really soothe you and that those bits that were very frazzled and had raw nerves in childhood, they get to rewire. And then you learn to internalize that, that actually I can calm myself down because often we've learned to calm ourselves and self-soothe, you know, through our parents by a very young age. So that's all the internalized presence of, oh, you're upset, darling. Oh, it's because you need your nappy changed or you're hungry. We put words to it. And then children who have had those experiences and become securely attached, they then know how to soothe themselves much more as adults. It it doesn't mean they never get upset, but they recover very quickly and they have a much 
higher tolerance for um, distress and stress. They can deal with it differently. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's interesting because I think over the last few years there's been a lot of information about codependency and about how important it is to depend on yourself and really look after yourself. But what I'm hearing and what I'm understanding, and it makes perfect sense, is that if you are actually partnered up with someone who is secure, there is a healthy level of dependency on that person, which goes towards then your ability to look after yourself even more so. If you develop that. So yeah. it depends how that person wants to attach. If they do sort of can they, they can take that wellness and secure attachment from that other and use that to their advantage, great. Some people can't because they're so traumatized that they'll keep trying to kind of put stuff on the securely attached person that right. it doesn't. So it, it does depend, um, yeah, in that sense. It, it doesn't always work out right. in that kind of wonderful way. Yeah. Yeah. When it comes to seeking out a secure person, how can we actually become the secure person that someone else might be seeking out? Can we earn that secure attachment? We can can earn it, but it needs a lot of work and it's worth it though. It's definitely a muscle that one can build, you know, in time, but, and there are ways to do that. So it could be through therapy. We have to join up and understand, we have to join up the past with the present. That's the that's the really critical factor here. And so we need to understand how am I wired? Why am I triggered by things? What triggers me? And to be really curious, why am I triggered by that? What is it about me? Um, and we need to just understand all of our blind spots in relation to that. Why do I go into fight or flight ro- response? Why do I go blamey? Why do I sulk? Why do I, you know, project harsh judgments onto my partner? And there's all sorts of things like that. So I think that's a really critical part of our well-being is if we can do that. But to go back to your point before, I, I have a little bit of a struggle with with aspects of all of it in the sense of I'm a really big believer that even though our partner could be securely attached or offer us something in a relationship, I, I really – implore everybody to do their own work so that they're not over relying on a relationship because a relationship may only take so much but we never know what that cracking point can be and so I encourage everyone to first and foremost marry themselves (laughs) really become their partner that they want to be so that they can be a true participant in the relationship emotionally as well Uh, so I really love the expression you do you, like just emotionally do you, don't make your partner your problem, look at yourself because the relationship offers an incredible ability to put up a mirror of who we are and I think that is the biggest gift about being in a relationship actually. It's who who do I, who am I, how am I wired by them not accepting everything I want them to be? Yes, a relationship really can be such a, like a vehicle for growth, like transformational growth if you will allow it to be. 
Exactly. It's spot on that. It is exactly that. And if we if we don't just keep putting on to our partner, no, you have to change to be who I want you to be so I feel safe, we are then able to say, well, why do I feel fear or why do the, his words shock me or why does her why do her tears annoy me? If we can ask these questions about ourselves, then we grow without sort of having to force our partner to be anything for us. So that's where I see true transformation. It's internal. Yeah, it's, I guess, kind of that radical responsibility of yeah, self. Absolutely. And I think that's so important and I'm so glad that you highlighted that. And, you know, as someone who went through a divorce and I had so much of my identity just so entrenched in that relationship and when it ended I just felt like nothing like I felt completely discombobulated by it all and so I just echo those sentiments of marrying yourself being responsible for yourself yes a relationship can be a vehicle for growth and transformation but first and foremost you have to own your own stuff yeah, and life and where it's going. You know, I think we can so easily give up parts of ourselves and follow someone else's path in life, even if we don't know we're doing it, give up so many parts of ourselves to keep the show on the road. And we may not even realize it. And I know for my own life, if I go down my partner's way of being in the world, I find it just really awful. I find his way of being in the world just doesn't work for me at all. So I just keep doing me. And the more I do that in a relationship, the more I thrive. So the more I get rid of all the rules and expectations and the things that bind, um, I, I feel so much freer and happier. So even, even in the last sort of six months, uh, I had a ring from my partner. I took it off and put it on the other hand. And then I pulled out my own ring. I want to first... I want to first be my own person. So that means that my first loyalty is to my own thoughts and mind, body, responsibilities. And I'm a partner, but that's not my first. First is me. Yes, and we are going to be with ourselves our whole lives, you know, and we know this. We know this and it's so, you know, pithy to say it, but the relationship that we're in with ourselves is the one that's going to last the longest. Yeah, and it's the most meaningful and it's the yeah. deepest. It's actually the deepest because we know parts of ourselves that we don't share with anyone. Yeah. And I think that's why it's so fascinating to explore these different attachment styles and your own uh, relational template because it does, it gives you so much awareness and I think also compassion for yourself because sometimes it can be really frustrating. You know, if you experience certain thoughts or you engage in certain behaviors, you can just get so frustrated with yourself and not understand why you're doing what you're doing. But to actually see like your style of existing in the world, to see it written in black and white and to go, oh, I feel so validated. And to give yourself that bit of compassion and your inner child that bit of compassion as well and go, oh, you poor thing, like you're just trying to feel safe. Yeah, absolutely. Instead of judging that part of yourself, I think that is critical. And that's really why I wrote this, because if we can all see that we're doing something, it means in terms of how we're relating and we're all doing it to, you know, smaller or greater degrees. I just want everyone to have a kind of shared humanity about what we're doing so that we're kinder to ourselves, we're kinder to others. If we see people losing it in their cars, we don't just say, you know, a massive judgment, but, oh, okay, 
that's they've reached their level of distress intolerance. That's it. They've, they've met their threshold. Yeah, it's they're, they're all limit. over the place. They're at their limit. Absolutely. So it's not that we have to excuse behavior, but it's understanding it and that we're actually all in this together. And in understanding behavior, I know in the book, you go into understanding triggers. The word triggered gets used a lot, you know, we'll go around and go, oh, I'm so triggered by that. I'm so triggered by this. But when it comes to relationship issues, what actually is a trigger? How do you define it? And how can people know? Like, how can you recognize, all right, I'm being triggered. And what can I do with that? So that's a that's a really important one because there is an overuse of the term and I think it's it's important to be clear. So a trigger is any behavior or stimuli that causes us to recall a traumatic event uh, that's emotional in content from the past. But we're recalling it in the present, but that past event is over, but we've got no awareness of that. So our brain is registering that past event. It's encoded. It's in there. But it, it recalls that same thing happening now. So our partner might have a particular tone of voice that reminds us of a frightening parent. Or our partner might not contact us when we're expecting to be contacted. And that might remind us of something that happened in the past with a parent who didn't show up. Now, it doesn't mean that we're as unsafe as we were as a child. Because a child's actually quite unsafe with parents who don't show up or are frightening, as just as two examples. But in the present, as an adult, how is that tone of voice so frightening? It doesn't make sense. How is it someone not contacting us so dangerous in the present? It's not. But we react as if it is. And that's what, when we're triggered, that's what happens. So as a child, that was terrifying. To be forgotten is awful. It's dangerous because we can't look after ourselves. We can't raise ourselves. But the thing is there's a gap between what's past and what's present and our brain is shooting past feelings now and we're, we're overlaying that onto our partner as if, our, as if they are an actual threat. So we've perceived a threat but in the past it was an actual threat and that's the difference. And that experience that comes up for us often overrides our rational, logical thinking, right? Because yeah. you might be able to go, oh, well, on paper, I know. Like, I know that they use that tone of voice because of X, Y, Z, because of the million reasons that's going on for them. It's their stuff. And your logical brain knows that. But the triggering, that response, that flooding that can happen, it's so uh, visceral and so all-encompassing. So how do we... Like, how do we actually get on top of that? Yeah, it's, and that's where really understanding what our, what our triggers are and what they're linked to is critical because without them joined up, it's just going to keep happening. It's just like pushing a tape recorder and the same thing will come out each and every time. The reason our logical brain hasn't got a say in this is it goes offline. So anything in the sort of frontal lobe region, anything, that's our neocortex, so we're, as mammals, we have this part of the brain that has a big lump on it <laughs> at the front. Think of a dog. They're very flat. They've got a very thin, their, their cortical tissue is very thin, whereas ours is the thickest of all the species. So that's why we have this ability to think in the way we do and process. All of that goes offline the minute we're triggered. So 
that's why we're no longer able to just think think our way through it because our emotional response just completely comes in over the top. The frontal lobes are trying, the, 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 it's trying to make contact with the physiology and trying to make sense and to calm things down. Sometimes it can and sometimes it can't. So it goes offline and it's like, can I come back yet? Is it safe? No, I'm still in it. <laughs> so it goes away for a bit longer and then it'll come back again. It's trying to reconnect us back to, to ascertain safety. Yeah. So how can we help it to connect back to that? Is there a way or is it simply like letting it pass? So, yeah, well, the first is if we, they're two separate answers really. How can we help it in that moment is we can breathe. And any time that we can, you know, do that, uh, that the, some breathing exercises where we're really just slowing down our breath, breathing through the nose so that it can then activate our vagus nerve in the brain and the, sends a message all the way down to our stomach and back up again to relax, to de-stress. That is a massive one. So to take ourselves out of it and just breathe through the nose five seconds and out through the nose, just do it five times and that sends messages to calm down. That's one of the best things we could do. Or if we have um, learned about mindfulness, that's an amazing technique as well and there's lots of information online to do that. I guess the other thing we can do is the preventative work, which is really the joining up of, you know, through therapy, through courses, through books, through podcasts like yours, how do we keep understanding how we operate? And that's the preventative work. So we have less and less um, times that we're going to be triggered and then we can join them up more quickly if we yes. have been. I would say for me it's the knowledge, like it's actually learning. And I think it's because that gives me self-compassion. I go, oh, no wonder I'm activated or triggered as you as you describe it. I think that's such a big piece of the puzzle that so many people are missing. It's that connection of what was going on for me with my parental figures and what's going on for me now and connecting the dots. Yeah, absolutely. And to listen to, to the stories that we construct because we are hilarious. You know, we can, you know, we, we can be a victim, we can be superior, we can be judgmental, we can be cruel, we can be very loving, we can, we are All within so five minutes. <laughs> there's no, there's no coherence check. There's no mm -hmm. quality control. We just create the most insane stories and we believe them. She didn't talk to me for this reason or he said this and we are, we're a little bit mad and the more that we understand that but we can smile at that part of ourselves constructing these unbelievable stories. I mean, we are the best writers of dramas ever. So the more we understand but also have compassion, as you say, and, and smile at ourselves, you know, in what we construct. I know sometimes I can be a bit of a victim and I find it hilarious because I'm not. I'm actually yes. not. Who, who created that? Who's my perpetrator? I'm a free agent. I'm yeah. not a victim. But it's really funny when I construct those or if I feel superior. We all do it at times. And when I catch myself, I go, oh, are you feeling insecure? Or what are you anxious about? I try to ask what's behind it because there's a reason we're, cons we're needing a little ego boost in that moment. Yes. And you get into the ego in your book, Relationship Reset, which is so helpful. I found all of the elements, understanding attachment, understanding insecure attachment, and then the different subtypes, and then the relational template, the gap, the ego, 
all of it is so helpful. And so are the examples that you have in the book where you'll talk about couples and you'll literally write a scenario that I was like, oh my gosh, is she watching my life right now? That's so realistic to my attachment type. So it's a really great way. Like I think that those stories, it's such a great way to actually observe yourself. And I think that adds towards that ability to go, huh, are you feeling this way? Are you feeling that way? Are you being a little silly? Are you slipping into that mad style of thinking? It's just such a wonderful, wonderful read. I cannot recommend it enough. And I know that you also have a wonderful online course as well, which is called Fight Less, Love More. So where can our listeners, first of all, get themselves a copy of Relationship Reset, but also find out more about your course, Fight Less, Love More? So the book Relationship Reset is just on, it's everywhere across Australia. So it's at all major booksellers and online and Amazon and Booktopia and all of those. So it's it's also in Big W and Dimex. It's everywhere. Uh, I'm very fortunate with that. Um, so, and the course can be found on my website, which is lissyabrahams.com and it's called Fight Less, Love More. And it goes into a more detailed explanation of what we're talking about in terms of the relational template and how to really understand what's inside oneself. So it's an in, both of them are an individual person's journey into how they relate. Don't buy it if you think it's about changing your partner. <laughs> Save your money. It is not about that. This is all about your individual journey. You can do it with your partner, but it's not about changing them. It's about really understanding everything we've talked about today, Kylie. Yeah. And we have only scratched the surface. It's a wonderful book. It's so insightful. I know that you've just said it's absolutely not about fixing your partner, but I will say as a reader, it gave me so much empathy towards that gap of understanding, huh? My partner is basing his experience of his, of his relational role modeling that happened in his childhood. And I'm basing it off mine. So whilst it's not about fixing your partner, I did find as a reader that it gave me insight into my partner, which I think is really valuable. And that's amazing. That Yeah, absolutely. Because we do forget when we get into our own narrative, we can forget that our partner has a beating heart. We can forget yes. that they're real. We can see perceive them as a threat. And all of those beautiful qualities they once held at the beginning when we met, they, we chip away at them when we perceive them as a threat and we don't get to see them as, you know, a really quite decent human being. We start to see them as someone who's a bit frightening, not good enough, really inadequate for us, whatever story we construct. And we keep imposing that on them for not being who we feel they should be to make us feel safe. And that's yeah. mean. It's, it, we don't know we're doing it. We all do it to some degree, but it's cruel. It's unconsciously cruel. We don't mean to be like this. We're just wired like that. Makes so much sense. I will make sure we have all of those details for your course and for your book and your website in our show notes so that our listeners can find you with ease. But Lizzie, thank you so much for your time and for the work that you're doing. Thank you so much, Kylie. 
Hey guys, it's me just sliding in here to let you know that we actually do have another episode over on our Venti members feed with the incredible Lissy Abrahams, where Lissy and I are chatting about conflict resolution and getting into, I guess, what it means to be in conflict and how we can be responsible for our side of the street and really mitigate those uh, uncomfortable stressful conflicts and turn them into useful conversations. So if you do want to have a listen to that episode, it is available for you over under our Venti membership zone. Remember, Venti members get a bonus episode each and every week. There's a real combination of solo reflective type episodes, Q&A, anonymous questions, which can sometimes be very interesting, and also more with our guests. And Lissy is a guest that I so enjoyed having on the podcast. I think she is just so uh, incredibly wise and considered, and I really value her perspective, as I'm sure you could tell during my conversation with her. Her book, Relationship Reset, is brilliant. I recommend everyone has a read of it. And if you do want a little bit more from Lissy, jump on over, join us, become a Venti member for the cost of a cup of coffee per month. You're getting at least four bonus episodes and hopefully you can feel really good about supporting an all-female team all right guys take care of yourself if you loved this episode share it around send it to someone who you know who might need a relationship reset of their own this is what i want this is what i need if you don't have to go i can set you free are you gonna make a move are you gonna Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 